Welcome to Evangel Today. Today we're doing a week number two. Pastor Patty would have started to unpack the theme and the vision for this church moving forward that we have called Inside Out Church. And uh, last week was the first week of this. She really started on New Year's Eve. Uh, and if you were here last week, you would have heard about uh, beginning with a passage of Scripture uh, that if you're a church person, you probably love the passage and maybe even memorize the passage out of the Old, the old Testament, the old prophet Jeremiah, plans I have for you, declares the Lord, uh, plans not to harm you, but to prosper you, plans to give you hope and a future, Jeremiah 29, verse 11. And what Pastor Patty did was to look at that passage in its context, in its setting as it was originally put, and when you do that, the passage comes to life for you. And what's going on there, we're talking six centuries before Jesus was even born, you have the people of Jerusalem uh, whose city is sacked and burned by the Babylonians, and all of their, their sacred artifacts from the temple were taken along with them in exile hundreds of miles away over to Babylon, where they were imprisoned and exiled there. And uh, in that context, uh, the people are hearing messages from other prophets, and the prophets are sending messages to uh, them saying things like, uh, uh, God is going to deliver you, he's going to break the back of the Babylonians, and he's going to send you back to Jerusalem triumphantly, and it's going to happen quickly, and triumph and war is coming, and this is the type of messages that are coming from people like Hananiah uh, back then 2,600 years ago. Well, in amidst all that noise, there's this prophet Jeremiah. And Jeremiah says to the people, what you're hearing is lies. What you're hearing is not true. We are here because of the consequence of our own sin, and we are going to die here in Babylon. Uh, you are. And this is 70 years you're going to be there in Babylon, which means you're going to die there. And so what you need to do, here's a radical message going to the people, what you need to do is not wait for God to deliver you because you're going to die there. What you need to do is live there and love there and plant gardens there and live your lives there and seek the peace and prosperity of Babylon. Because if it is peaceful and if it prospers, you too, captives in an alien land, are going to prosper. Plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans not to harm you, but to give you hope and a future. We see this in the life of Daniel, who is one of those exiles. He has the ability to interpret the dreams and the visions of the pagan king. And he is able to explain them to this king in such a way that the king says, let this God be worshipped across Babylon. Amazing. He's letting his, the, the, these good deeds shine in this pagan land. Jesus would, would take this further. And he'd say, you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Let your deeds shine before man. Let your good deeds shine before man. Why? So that they may praise your God, your Father in heaven. So the question of last week would have been, what would happen if evangel ceased to exist? 
Would the community take note? Would the community say, oh no, what are we going to do? That church is now gone. Another way of asking the question last week, is the community thankful? Are they saying, thank God there is a church here? Do they even notice it? This was the question of the outside part of inside out. Well, today we're going to deal with the inside part. Picture yourself as a member of this community of faith, a person who's part of this community of faith. You are, you're here, you're part of it. Well, if you were to cease to be a part of it, if you were to vanish, would anyone notice? Would anyone even care to notice? This is the inside part of inside out church. Fortunately, we have a, a great passage of scripture to help us answer this question. What happens when a person becomes part of the community of faith? How is it supposed to relate to one another? How do we, how do we behave with each other? We have a great passage of Scripture, a very intimate passage of Scripture recorded for us in the New Testament. It's from the prayer life of none other than Jesus himself as he is praying to God before he faces execution on a cross. He gives us insight as to how he wants us, even in the 21st century church, to behave with one another. Amazing passage of scripture that we're privileged enough to have. It's part of a long prayer that he's praying. We're just going to look at four verses of it. John chapter 17 and verses 20 uh, to 23. If you're not familiar with the New Testament, you can navigate to the book of John in the New Testament. See if you can get to chapter 17. It's a good time for me to plug the best online resource for the Bible, version. If you want to download it even now, youversion.com. You get tons of languages, tons of versions of the Bible, all for free. Uh, John chapter 17, verses 20 to 23. My prayer, this is Jesus praying, is not for them alone. The them is the 12 disciples, the 12 apostles. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's you and me. We are the, those who will believe in me through the message that's been transmitted for 2,000 years. And watch what he prays. Now you have to read this like 10 times. Because he goes from you to me, them, you, up, down, is really fast. But if you watch it closely, he's praying something very profound for you and me even today. I pray for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them, all of them may be one Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they all be in us. So that the world, and this is the outside world, may believe that you have sent me. I have given them glory that you gave me, that they may be one. There it is again. That they may be one, as we are one, Father. I in them, and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Amazing prayer that he is praying when we consider 
the implications today. What do we see here? We see first the relationship that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has with God the Father. This is on display for us. The unity, the relationship, and the love between the Father and the Son. You are in me. I am in you. Glory you gave me. You have loved me. This very intimate, very personal discussion that he's having. This is his desire for us as a church. That that unity, that relationship, that love would be exhibited in us. I take the, the uh, uh, bus and metro and walk to, uh, to the office every day. In Quebec culture, we call that the BMW. How many of you take the BMW to church every Sunday? Okay, good. So you know what I'm talking about. So, so uh, every day I take the, the, the BMW to work, and I always pass by a couple of metro stops uh, that have uh, Jehovah's Witnesses in them. And uh, I love to talk to Jehovah's Witnesses. I, I'm not like other uh, people who avoid them. I like them. I like to talk to them. I like to have cookies and milk with them and, uh, and get to know them and who they are as people and all of that. So I gravitate to them, and I happen to have some time on my hands on the way to the office, I think it was last week, and decided to approach uh, this, this group of Jehovah's Witnesses. And uh, typically you have an older sage and wise man there, and you have a couple of young people, and they're learning the ropes of the trade of how to dispense uh, their, their doctrine and whatnot to people. And so I went up to their, their little display there, and I started to ask them some questions. And I said, can I, can I ask you a, a poignant question? Why should I become one of you? Why do I need to become a Jehovah's Witness? And I said, what's the appeal? And he said, well, you know, you want to obey God. I said, well, I don't want to obey God. I want to live my life my way. So why, why do I need to obey your God? Why do I need to do what he says? Well, because you'll be blessed if you do. I said, well, I feel blessed as I am. So what do I need to serve your God for? Why do I need to become one of you lot? And he said, well, because if you don't, you may be judged. I said, well, what, what's going to happen to me if I don't? Oh, well, you, you will die. I said, yeah, and what happens afterwards if I die? Well, you, you may not get resurrected. I said, so what if I don't get resurrected? I said, do you think all these people walking by you think that they're going to get resurrected? Like, why? What's the appeal? Why should I become one of you? Well, you know, you may get resurrected, but then if you're a bad person, then you'll get destroyed after you're resurrected. I said, so what if I get destroyed? There's nothing that happens after. Where's the appeal? And he couldn't, he couldn't really find an answer for me. And I said, you know, I just want to live my life my way. And do things my way. I said to him, you know, what I find interesting about, about you is that the church believes in a Jesus that's very different than you. The church seems to teach that Jesus Christ is God and you don't. And he said, that's right, we don't. I said, well, why is there such a difference between you and the church? He said, well, because to teach that Jesus Christ is God is to deny the Bible. I said, really? It's to deny the Bible. We started getting into, into some of the details there. And then he started backing off because he was like, well, I've never heard some of these questions, some of these things he's saying. And uh, I said to him, you know, the Bible says by Jesus, all things were created. 
So, well, yeah, but uh, he's created by God and all this. I said, but yeah, but how can he be created by God if he created everything? Uh, no answer. And we were going back and forth. And I said, listen, I just want to let you know I'm an ordained minister. And his face started changing color. And I said, there's no harm done. I just give me your material. I collect your material. And we kind of called it a day at that point. Just a tip for you, if you don't want them bothering you, okay, and they ring your bell, just go to the bell and take a a little Sharpie, well, not a permanent Sharpie, but write a little 666 on your forehead, and just go, hi, I'd love to talk to you. They will run like... Here's, Here's how it relates to Jesus' prayer. They could not for the life of them understand how God could have a relationship within himself. They could not understand this. They have no concept of the Godhead or the Trinity as revealed in the scripture where God is presented as one what? So we say to the Bible, well, what is God? Well, God is spirit. Uh, He doesn't have a physical body like you and me. He doesn't need one, but he's spirit. Say, okay, well, who is God then? Well, when we ask the Bible that question, we see that God is revealed as the Father, God is revealed as the Son, and God is revealed as the Holy Spirit, three persons. Each person shares the attributes of deity. They have all the attributes of deity. The Father does, the Son does, the Holy Spirit does. Say, well, how does that work? I'm not sure, but that's what the Bible teaches. Uh, One God who's revealed in three persons, and they have this relationship between one another, and we see this on display in this prayer, this intimate relationship that Jesus has with the Father, and these Jehovah's Witnesses can't even, they're in the wrong stratosphere, don't, don't even understand it, don't even grasp it, but it's of tremendous importance to us because this is what Jesus wants to see modeled between you and me. The same kind of love and unity and relationship that he has with God the Father is what he wants to see reflected in the people who claim to follow him. His prayer is for the same unity, the same relationship, and the same love to be reflected between all believers, that they may be one. That they may also be in us. I have given them glory. I in them and you in me. So that they may be brought into complete unity. You have loved them. He wants us to reflect this. And this is part of the idea of being created in the image of God. God by nature loves God by nature shares. God by nature is relational. And this is what he wants reflected in the lives of his people. Why? What's the point of it? Well, Jesus says so in his prayer. The goal of this is so that the world may know of the authenticity of the gospel message. So the authenticity of the message is tested by the way that we behave one to the other. It's on the line every time by the way that we relate one to another. And when we do it the way that Jesus is praying it, the world looks and they say, God must have sent Jesus as they say. Because we can't understand how these people who don't really know one another love one another in such a way. We don't see this anywhere else except in the Jesus people. 
We don't see it anywhere else. They must be followers of this Jesus. And maybe what they're saying is true. Maybe God really did send their Savior as they say. The authenticity of the message is on the line every time. Jesus said earlier in John 13, By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Everyone will know because they see how you and I relate to each other. The church shows the world who God is by how we treat one another. You may be the most brilliant person sitting there in the seat and you may be able to argue somebody into the kingdom and use all kinds of intellectual arguments. They all mean nothing if your relationships with one another are poor. You're counteracting the message of the gospel by your own relationship problems. This is of deep concern to God, how we treat one another, because it reflects Him to a lost and a dying world. The church shows the world who God is by how we treat one another. The Apostle Paul would expand on this, and we see so much in the New Testament about how this is supposed to be done in detail. And we'll read from a passage in a moment that's typically read at weddings. Uh, Some of you who are married have had this passage read at your wedding. I had some of it at my wedding. But the truth is, it has nothing to do with weddings. In context, it has to do with how people in a church community treat one another. It's in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13 and verses 4 to 8. It's commonly called the love chapter. I'm not saying it doesn't apply to a marriage, but in context, it applies to how you and I treat one another inside an inside-out church. I'm going to read it really slowly, but I want you to go through an exercise with me. Those of you who have been in the church for any length of time, I want you to remember and envision some of the experiences that you have had with other believers. Some of the perhaps good things and some of the maybe bad things will come to your mind, but I want you to envision the events that have marked your path as you've been a part of this community of faith. This is what Jesus is praying for, for us to be like with one another in terms of love we have for one another. I'm going to read really slowly. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4. Love is patient. It's not impatient. It's patient. Love is kind. It's not unkind. It's kind. It does not envy. So it doesn't say, oh, I wish I were like brother so-and-so. I wish I was as good looking as Pastor Michael or maybe with the hair on. No, it does not envy. It does not boast. It doesn't say, oh, I'm better than so-and-so. I drive a nicer car, whatever. It is not proud. And this would be pride in a bad way. Uh, It does not dishonor others. Implication, it honors others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. So you have to push it really hard before it gets angry. It keeps no record of wrongs. So it's not, well, I remember what brother so-and-so did to me, or sister Sally shout about, said to me 20 years ago, I'll never forget it as long as I live. Well, no, love keeps no record of wrongs. It does not delight in evil, 
but it rejoices with the truth. It always protects. Emphasis on the word always. It always trusts. Now, it doesn't suspect. It trusts. Always. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Keeps on going no matter what. Love never fails. This is the way that we're to relate to one another. Now, I don't know what your experience is like as you listen to the passage. When I read the passage with with my church glasses on, I wince as I read it. Every word, they go, ooh, that one hurts, that one hurts, that one hurts. I'll tell you why. Because when you're, when you're a pastor and you work in the whole milieu of the church, guess what? Sometimes you deal with what happens when love is not patient, when love is not kind, when it did not protect, when it did not trust, when it loved evil. And sometimes you have to deal with that and put the pieces of people's lives back together when this goes wrong. It's a painful passage to read in some ways. Uh, I've been in this church for a quarter of a century. And wow, I read that as a, whoa, we have a lot, a lot of work to do. But imagine if this is done. Imagine if the love expressed between believers was this way. People on the outside would look and say, oh my, I don't know how they do that, but that's not normal. That is not the definition of love that we understand in this world. They come from a very different perspective where love is selfish and materialistic and it's a consumer mentality. Here you read of a love that is backwards. It is in many ways unattainable. It is, it, it is a standard that is ridiculously high. But this is what Jesus is expecting and praying about for all of us who are followers of him. It can only be done, it seems, if Jesus Christ himself were living within us. But isn't that what the scripture teaches? And you'll learn more about that next week. Uh, Pastor uh, Patty will break that down. When we do inside-out church the way that Paul says, the world looks and they say, wow, God must have sent Jesus because look at the way these people love one another. I want what they have. Whatever it is, I want it because I can't see it anywhere else in this entire world. I want it. A number of people have sent me emails and phone calls and the like, uh, very sincere and uh, I suppose somewhat concerned, and some questions about a new church that's opened up across the street at the, at the forum, at the movie theaters where we used to meet while we were renovating this building. And uh, they're there right now, in fact. And uh, people have asked questions, and they say, well, you know, uh, are people going to leave uh, Evangel and go over there? Are people over there going to come? How's that all going to work? Isn't this a little bit of uh, competition happening here? Okay, can, I, can I just give you a reality check? There are five English evangelical churches within 500 meters of us that are meeting right now. Five, not two. There's five If we do the math, technically, this area of the downtown core should be the most holy, most godly place in the whole downtown core. There's the churches everywhere. And yet all the problems are still the same. You still have, there's plenty of alcoholism and drug abuse here, prostitution, all kinds of stuff in the coin here, even with five English churches that are meeting right now within the sound of my voice. Do you really think that the people out in the community 
care about whether or not there's going to be competition between all of these five churches? Do you really think they care? I'll tell you what would be impressive to all the people in the community when they look and they say, whoa, these churches love each other. These churches are working toward the same goal. These churches respect one another. These churches are not competing with one another or envying or being proud or boastful or stealing one another's customers. These people love each other. Wouldn't that be a thought? Maybe an amen might be helpful at this point. This is what Jesus is expecting, and this is what Jesus is praying about back in John chapter 17 and what Paul is writing about in 1 Corinthians 13. And this is what the world will notice, because they are very familiar and accustomed to envy and boasting and competition and all these things. These are normal things. You, you, you're, you're very intelligent people. You work out in the marketplaces and in the schools, and this is what you see. Well, what do we see inside an inside-out church? It should be the reverse. People should look and say, wow, it's backwards in here. Is that ever attractive? I would love to be part of that type of community where they love one another so much. How many of you you had trouble walking up the stairs of the building today? You say, oh, I have to walk around all this construction material, all this ice and snow and muck. Well, do you know why all of that is there blocking our entrance? Because there are neighbors who are going to move right next door to us at the end of this calendar year. Hundreds and hundreds of people are going to be in a condo that's almost the size of the one across the street. That's why there's all this mess, because there's people coming to us. What are we going to do about that? They're right next door. They can literally come into this building with their slippers on. I don't know about you, but that gets me a little bit excited because where there's people, there's opportunity to show the love of Jesus between one another. The people who look and say, wow, look at those people who go into that church building every Sunday morning. They look like they love one another. I would be very interested in what they have and seeing if what they have really is true or not. It is so quiet here. All these people, hundreds and hundreds of people coming right next door to us. When we show love one for the other, as Jesus prays, as Paul writes, I tell you, people will take notice. And they will say, the gospel message is true. There's no other way for people to behave like this. It is completely illogical. It is ridiculous the way they love each other with such an extravagant fashion. It's not possible unless the God they speak of is real. Some inside-out church take-home principles for you today. Uh, In a church like this, the greatest serve the least. So it's not where you climb the ladder of power over people's heads like it is out in the world. We're very accustomed to this out in the world where it's the reverse in the church, or it should be. Paul writes about this to another church in Philippi, and he says this, Philippians 2, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if you have any comfort from his love, you have any common sharing in the spirit, any tenderness and compassion out there, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. There it is again, having the same love, being one in spirit, one in mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. 
Try using that principle out in your business. People will take notice. Value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but watch, to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as, guess who, as Jesus Christ himself who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing and took on the very nature of a servant. That is backwards. But this is what Jesus is praying about. And this is the mark of an inside-out church. Remember also the love chapter is for the church. It's for how we behave one to the other. When you read it, put your church glasses on and see how you're doing in the area. Why is this all important? Because it is a witness to the world outside. It shows them who God is by how we treat one another. Both the outside and the inside part of Inside Out Church, they happen at the same time. So over the last 20, 30 years, there have been a number of books that have been written and a number of people trying to capture uh, church life and such and how it works and how it doesn't work. And for a number of years, the idea was, well, we need to put people through some type of process. It was more of process thinking. So, well, a person needs to come and cross the line of faith and be a follower of Jesus. And then we need to teach them all kinds of things. And then we need to get them involved in volunteering. And then they can reach out to the lost. And we tended to think a little more in terms of a sequence, in terms of a line for people. Well, really, if you look at the New Testament, it doesn't work like that. It's all bunched together. So they're all happening at the same time. Example, a person can come into the community of faith and start doing something, and they haven't even become a believer yet. And all of a sudden, they start participating maybe in small ways, whatever. And by belonging to the community of faith and having relationships with people, then they start believing. And it can happen at the same time. This is kind of the way that it happens in the Bible. So it's not, well, do this first and then do this second. No, we need to do both at the same time. So what Pastor Patty shared last week and what we're sharing today, both these things happen at the same time. Here in Evangel, just in terms of practical, uh, Chef Mike talked about the life groups that have already started. Actually, one of them started on Friday night. And this is the idea of people getting together in homes or coffee shops or whatever. And they come together and they have relationships with one another. Yeah, there's the material that they use, but the important part of it is the fellowship that they have and the community and the the growth that happens that way. We've got such a demand for people who want to be a part of these life groups that in the center of town, I need more places. I need more homes uh, just to accommodate the people. So you want to get involved in something like that, come and see me. All you have to do is offer up your place one, one day, one night a week, whatever, for a couple of hours, and that will help stimulate this kind of love, this kind of relationships that happen with people within the church. There's about half a dozen of them meeting in various places around the city of Montreal. We talked about a prayer meeting that will happen this Wednesday night at the Lighthouse. There's another way for people to come together. We spent a lot of money building that cafe downstairs it's a great place 
to come together and to sit down with people and start to get to know people and build relationships with other uh, believers. Uh, the gathering places, the Friday night thing is going to start again in the month of February. We take it very, very seriously in this church because it is a deep concern to Jesus what the life is like inside here as well as what we're doing outside. Do good. Let your light shine before this world. Love each other. And that will in turn reveal Jesus. And we'll talk next week a little more about the power of Christ that lives within the believer that enables us to do all of these things and fulfill all these things. Please stand with me and we're going to uh, just have a word of prayer. And, uh, and before we close today, the worship team can come and they're going to take us out with a little bit of music. It's very, very early. If you want to spend a bit of time uh, talking with your neighbor a bit or head down to the cafe, it's open. That's what it's there for. Uh, Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have to be part of this community of faith called Evangel. And there are so many people from so many different walks of life, so many different backgrounds uh, that are here this morning. And God, what an opportunity we have to demonstrate the love that you want us to one to the other. God, I pray for many who are in this room who have been in the church for uh, perhaps weeks into months into years, and some of the experiences may not have been all that great. God, I pray that you would take us to new places. I pray that by the power of the Spirit, we would practice uh, love and unity and relationship in such a way that would be so different than the way that the world operates, that people would take notice and say, oh, would I like to have what they have? Oh, would I like to have that kind of love in my life? Father, we pray you would do it in this community of faith and even in others that are around the city uh, this morning. We pray in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. The Lord bless you. Have a great, great week. We will see you next Sunday.